It's the Geeky Waffle Podcast. This week, we're talking about the trope, redemption equals death. I'm Candace, and with me is Arzu. Hey, Arzu. Hey, Candace. We have also Annika. Hello. And Meg. Hey, hey. Okay, so this conversation started, of course, Arzu is always talking about Kylo Ren. Always. All the time. Forever. And in Rise of Skywalker, I know a lot of people had issues with this, is like, he turns back from the dark side to the light, spoiler alert, and <laughs> just like 20 minutes later is dead. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Arzu. I'm sorry to bring it up again and like hurt you this way. I've been grieving for almost a year. Same. So when a character redeems himself, it's almost like they're signing their own death certificate. Have you guys noticed that in at least... Fiction of late. I get yes. very nervous when they turn back to the to the light or to the good side. I'm like, well, shouldn't get too attached to you now. So in Star Wars, the first thing that comes to mind is also Anakin slash Darth Vader. He sacrifices himself in a way to save Luke by tossing the Emperor down the shaft. It doesn't stick. <laughs> but... <laughs> We're not going to talk about that. I've also been <laughs> grieving about this for a year. Oh, no. Let's just, just not bring it up. So that's, I mean, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. And it's like, well, he is, like, close to death anyway. The suit is the only thing keeping him alive. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah, like, I, I get that in that both, you know, the logistical concerns of his suit. And then also, I'm going to assume because... I'm not as familiar with with media from then, but I'm going to assume that this hadn't been so done that people were like, well, of course, the villain, like, like if, if it was being done, people expected it and it didn't bother them maybe right. as much. Like, it wasn't quite so predictable. And I would also make the case that Vader didn't have the Anakin Skywalker nuance about him until after the fact. You know what I mean? So it wasn't as heart. Maybe maybe it was heartbreaking for you. I don't know. But it wasn't as bad because you didn't have episode one, two, and three living in the back of your head while you're watching that. Because it definitely hits different now. Yeah. At least for me. For me, I'll say that Anakin's redemption and his sacrifice are why I love Star Wars. I was seven when I first saw Return of the Jedi. And it... I really imprinted on the idea that specifically a father could love his son so much to sacrifice his life and everything that he had up until that point held dear being his whole villainness. So for me, the, the redemption equals death for Anakin, it actually does seem like a release. Like Anakin is sort of coming back to the light and he's happy. We see him you know, watching Luke and Leia as a ghost and he's okay. Like he's, he's moved on and he's okay with that decision because really Anakin died, you know, 25 years before then in the volcano. And he's been fighting to get back to that the whole time, the way I, I see it. Uh, that Vader is like a costume that Anakin wears and he has to fight back to to get back to his real self. 
and and actually let people see his real self. And Luke is the first person who does. And then he immediately is like, okay, you are the most important thing to me and I will do whatever it takes to keep you alive. So for Anakin, it's a, it makes sense to me. But for Ben, it's like the complete opposite. And I you literally know, yeah. came out of The Force Awakens. The first thing I said was, I need Ben Solo to live. Like it, to me, the, the only way the whole story makes sense is if Ben has a different fate than Anakin. Yes. And it's, yes. it's also just hard being like big fans of the original trilogy and loving Han and Leia so much. And they're gone. And they obviously love their son as well. And having that character just like die. <laughs> and <laughs> RZ is working on a piece for us about more in detail about what Ben went through and how he turned to the dark side. And it's, he was very manipulated and he didn't really have a choice. Can I say my thing about, about Ben that's kind of, kind of tie into what Annika said? about Vader is I love what you said, Annika. I love that idea of a parent loving their child so much that they would, that they would sacrifice themselves for them to save them from, from whatever. So I understand, I mean, I don't understand, but the parallel people are making here is that, you know, he finished what Anakin started. He was able to save someone he loved from death, but I would almost argue that Anakin did that. He saved Luke. He, he sort of, Anakin completed his own arc. But the idea of, of stopping someone you love from dying, I think, would have made more sense to me if it had been Leia who did that. If she passes into the Force at the moment her son sits back up on the temple floor. You know what I mean? Like, going forward with that, with that peace in her heart. Because... Because, you know, the, the distinction in my head anyway between dying and your body being there and then dying and passing into the force is, is that level of having come to terms with with everything. And I have such a hard time wrapping my mind around the idea of, I'm not a parent myself, but the, the idea of a parent finding peace in the death of their own child is extremely hard for me to wrap my mind around. Yeah, when you say it like that, that's really disturbing. Like, I know, like, some make the case that it's not her finding peace it's just her waiting for him so they can go together but but like Annika said in the force awakens you walk out wanting this kid to live because han goes to get him saying my son is alive i want my son to come home leia sends him off with both of them kind of knowing that there is a, about a 99% chance han's not coming back saying bring him home i want him home and then even in rise of skywalker han's like ben you're alive come home and then Leia's like calling out to him, calling Ben, Ben, Ben. So how do we spend definitely two movies and maybe like just suggested in The Last Jedi, but maybe it wasn't said as explicitly. How do we spend three movies, let's say, telling this boy to come home and then he doesn't? Because I don't think any parent or uncle conceives of the afterlife as home for somebody who has not yet turned 30. Do you know what I mean? I guess we could say he became one with a force and that's something, but this goes into one of the reasons I think a lot of writers do redemption equals death and it's just lazy storytelling. Mm -hmm. They can't see beyond a villain being redeemed. It creates too many problems for them. Uh, the, the war crimes crowd? 
Or like, well, yes. he'd be on trial for work. I'm like, but <laughs> it's it's a movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, what the books are for. <laughs> yeah, you can put him on trial in the in the books. Sure, let him go on trial. Let all the horror of what Palpatine did to him come to light. Let the horror of the First Order come to light. That is an extremely compelling narrative. Have him work the next God knows how long to atone, but but you just kill him on the temple floor and he's like, this is fine, and dies with a smile on his face. Like, no, I'm sorry. No. It, oh. It's such a better story to see him do the work to actually atone for it instead of just being redeemed by one one, one magic you know one use of magic that's not actually redemption that's i mean you can even say that because he loves ray so much that he's he's just doing it for himself i don't agree but i'm just saying <laughs> you could read it that way and so in that case he hasn't been redeemed at all and so it's like look the way that that you make up for whatever war crimes, quote unquote, he's responsible for is by actually telling the story of him going out into the galaxy and doing it. Like going to all of the planets where the First Order hurt them in some way and the Empire, because they're all the same, and actually do the work to repair, you know, build bridges like maybe literally like we see in in the books that when the empire falls they have a huge task ahead of them and just cleaning up the mess both like literally cleaning it up and sort of setting up the, the the galaxy in a more sustainable way to not allow this to rise you've got ben and i would even argue hux who were both the architects of this thing and if you have them there to be like okay this is how we operated so here's how we can undo it that's a hell of a lot more productive than just being like, well, they're dead now. So let's try to figure this out from the ground up. Meg, what were you going to say? Okay, I'll say this. Sometimes I wonder if writers are like afraid of happy endings. There are a lot of happy endings, but like, I feel like recently there's been this push for like, well, people don't always want happy endings. We need something different. And like, take The Rise of Skywalker, for example, like that's an example of a story that it's okay to end it happy. Like, I feel like the end, it being the end of a very, very extensive saga, you didn't need to kill off, you didn't need to kill him off, you know? And like a lot of all this discussion around it has been like, well, he didn't get his happy ending and he really should have. Like, I understand that like, maybe some writers don't want to do that, but like, it doesn't make sense to me, especially in cases like this where like, there's really no reason not to give that happy ending to a character that so many people looked up to, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. The him and him and like I would argue by extension, Ray. Like I, I understand she is young; she will find love again. Like whatever, uh, when they bring him back. No, I'm kidding. Um, like <laughs> she will find she will find love again. She's a young woman. But if you spend two and a half hours telling me that this guy she's had a connection with since. Like you see in the comics since she was much younger, but even just what we see on screen, she's had a connection with this guy for a while. She has, you know, sort of seen inside his soul. She wants she wants him to redeem himself because she knows he can because he is the son of two people she looks up to because she feels a certain way about him, whatever. And now we're going to spend two hours saying that not only this, but he's half of her soul. Like, why do you leave your heroine with half of her soul missing? And be like, well, this is uplifting because she hugged her friends at the end. Oh. I'm like, this is great. Let her hug her friends. But also half her soul just died on the temple floor. Like, 
I that that's what I don't understand. It's like that is not to me an uplifting happy ending. Well, I think that goes with one of the reasons that I believe they do this trope, redemption equals death, is it shows that the redeemed character is serious about being good and sacrificing your life is like the biggest way to show, oh no, I'm good now. And that kind of goes into another character that comes to mind and that's Loki from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. (laughs) Which he just fake turns. (laughs) He dies in quotes in the first one by jumping off a bridge after he he does something that he believes is right. Like, he thinks this is good. Like, yeah, I'm going to sh- kill all those frost giants and make my daddy proud, you know? Yeah. In Thor Dark World, it looks like he died saving his brother and, like, redeems himself for what happened in New York and the Avengers. Of course, he doesn't actually die. He takes Odin's place and Thor is like, well, I'm going to go hang out with Natalie Portman now. So bye. <laughs> And then in Thor Ragnarok, he finally, like, really does turn back to good. I would say he, yeah, like, he's good with an edge. Yeah, he's on the right path. He always was, which is, like, a great character in between. Yeah, which is compelling. Yeah, and then we only get five minutes of him in Infinity War, but he goes straight up to Thanos and he saves his brother's life. And he knows that, like, this is freaking Thanos. Yep. And, again, he dies. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so and we know we, we know we're going to get a different version of Loki because we're getting a series. And we saw him in Infinity War grab one of the stones. But it's, like, going to be an alternate universe. Right. Yeah. Maybe. An endgame. Endgame. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I, think, I think the one thing I think could be compelling for this is because we're getting an alternate universe Loki is that we get to spend the time with him when he starts at that sort of evil criminal mastermind point and then watch him do the atonement work. And we have the opportunity for that. So I think that's, I don't love that, that the only way to show he was serious about saving his brother was to kill him because I don't like this trope, but I do think it's nice that we will be getting the opportunity to hopefully watch this trope change and watch him get to live and do the work to, to change and be better in the yes. series. I agree with that. And I just want to point out that at the end of Thor Ragnarok, after Loki does come back to the side of good, quote unquote, and he does it because Thor tells him he can, you know, Thor's like, I believe in you. I sort of, as Ray does to Ben, you know, I, I know that you can be this better person and I'm waiting for it. And then, you know, Thor leaves and goes off and Loki shows up right at the opportune time to redeem himself to say, yeah, you're right. I am a better person and here I am to prove it. And that movie ends with like this really hopeful, even though our entire planet was destroyed our, our people still exist and we have Thor and we have Loki and everything's going to be okay now. And then within like five minutes in Infinity War, the very next movie, all of that is undone. <laughs> Everyone is dead <laughs> and Loki and, is, is killed. <laughs> and we can also point out that Loki also did take the, the Tesseract. So he, he kind of, he didn't bring it upon himself, but he was still like, not like a hundred percent redeemed. He was like, well, here's a stone. I'm going to just grab <laughs> really quick, you know? 
He's a trickster god. He's got to he's got to pull some tricks, right? So Loki's Loki's got the chance to come back around, but the one Marvel redemption equals death thing that I cannot stand is Black Widow. No. Thank you. No. It's you know, you've got the interesting plot beat of one somebody needs to die in order to get the soul stone. Cool. But you know, you send her and Hawkeye there and she's the one to sacrifice herself, presumably because she thinks she's not worthy of life. This is the impression I got. Like, not that she's just not worthy of life, but that her friends should carry on because he's got a family, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. I maintain that the only reason the writers did this, it wasn't because they didn't want to do the work, because they did do the work of showing her kind of come around and become more complete. But I maintain the only reason this happened is because if Hawkeye died, nobody would care. <laughs> Oh, I just mean the audience like it wouldn't have landed as hard I thought it would have hurt because I thought he was gonna die like when they showed that he had a family and that goes like Quicksilver yeah. also was a villain villain in Age of Ultron in a way he was used and then he dies showing that he's redeemed but luckily we get his sister Wanda and I think more Quicksilver died because of X-Men kind of thing there was an in the X-Men movie, yeah. and they're like, well... We can't have two. One of them's got to go. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So, poor Hawkeye. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I generally don't mind Hawkeye, but, you know, like, people aren't... Well, not people. Like, people I know are not super attached to Hawkeye the way they are to Black Widow because she's just more interesting. And the one thing that would have made Hawkeye's family interesting is if they have to process the fact that he died. Oh! <laughs> no! <laughs> I don't find him all that interesting. All he did was go off and grieve and kill a bunch of people when his family died instead of doing something productive like the rest of the Avengers did. Like the, the issue is that he does. He he goes off and murders people and somehow he's redeemed by her dying. Like that's yes, even thank worse. You, thank you. <laughs> this makes me sound less heartless. <laughs> Oh my god, Arzu. If Arzu ran into Hawkeye on the street, she would have been like, you should have died instead. I oh would. I, well, okay. Here's the thing, though. Hawkeye's got a like a crossbow, so I don't know that I'd say that to his face. <laughs> but I would be thinking it. You would text it to him. Like, way after the fact. Be like, I'm leaving town, but also, you should have jumped off that cliff. Oh, okay. So actually, it wasn't just Kylo Ren that had this conversation start with me and Arzu. Have you both of you guys seen the Mulan 2020? Yes. Nope. I have not. But you can talk about it anyway. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there is a witch character who's like, Arzu, can you describe this? (laughs) So this witch is Kylo Ren 2.0. Oh, no. <laughs> it's true. So no. she is. She works for Borikon, the the main antagonist, and she, like Mulan, has a surplus of chi, which is the thing that is exclusive to men and makes them special. What? So the force. So <laughs> she <laughs> is. You know, it's unnatural for her to have it, and the villain exploits this and basically uses her as like his magical murder lackey. And then she and Mulan uh-huh. meet in a really intense environment where it's just the two of them and they're kind of fighting but kind of having conversations a little bit like ray and ben and the -hmm. witch is like join me let the past die and mulan's like no 
and she leaves and the witch is like maybe she's got a point right at the end when the villain is i think trying to use her to get mulan at the last second he fires an arrow at mulan and the witch turns into a bird which she's been doing throughout this is like a new thing she turns into the bird and then like flies in front of the arrow and sacrifices herself for mulan and the thing is throughout this movie we've seen mulan like dodge arrows so it was like unnecessary (laughs) it would have been such a better movie if the two of them like paired up to to get to yes. save the empire yes. and like what I, then, I don't know i have so many problems in that movie but yeah and then the witch can just she can stick around if she wants she can take off and do her own thing if she wants like she's got she's got she that freedom go after they save China. A, she can start a group of women chi warriors a that coven would awesome. of women chi warriors yeah. i love this but no she just died on the temple floor that sounds very familiar I I'm not upset that I don't have to watch this movie now. No. <laughs> so thank you for that. Save there yourself, Meg. Even like little sparks of fire floating between them while they're having their join me conversation. It is like blatant. Why? Yeah, like, <laughs> pretty clear what they're going for there. Oh, okay. So something that like from my chat, well, somewhat childhood, it reminds me is like James Norrington and the Pirates of the Caribbean series. That was on my list. Yes. 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 Yeah. So he's the fiance kind of of Elizabeth before she gets with Orlando Bloom's character. And he kind of goes back and forth because he's like disgraced because he loses Jack Sparrow, the drunk pirate. And he gets a chance to redeem himself in the eyes of the evil people. So he gets a ship again. And then they capture Elizabeth and then he lets her go his act of redemption and then pretty much two minutes later is like killed (laughs) yep and even as a kid i knew i'm like well he's like oh she's like come with me and he's like no and i was like why the f not (laughs) because they're tired of that character so they're just going to kill him That didn't it's truly just, break my heart until I rewatched all the movies in quarantine. Because, like, as a, as a teenager, I was like, okay, th- you're not Orlando Bloom, so I'm not totally paying attention. But, <laughs> but like, as an adult, like, rewatching them a few months ago, I was like, oh, my God, this is so sad. He's just trying yeah, to do he, his best. He wasn't a bad person. That's no. the thing. He was just trying to do, yeah, like you said, he was trying to do the best he could. And sometimes that aligned with some not so great people, especially when the heroes are freaking pirates in this movie. (laughs) It's not even him redeeming himself in the eyes of like society or the law or whatever. He's purely redeeming himself to Elizabeth because that's what matters to him. He was like in love with her. Yeah, like genuinely in love with her. And when she's like, oh, I want to be with Orlando Bloom, he's like. I'm sad about it, but okay. I'll give you and, a day's head start. That's fine. But like. Yeah, he's not a bad dude. No. Poor Norrington. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sad. <laughs> Are any of you Lord of the Rings fans? Yes. Yes. Okay. So Boromir. 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 Sorry. I'm not a Lord of the Rings fan. I've seen the movies and I've tried to read the books. But I do specifically remember him. Who wants to talk about him? I can talk about him. Go ahead. (laughs) So Boromir is one of the humans in the Fellowship, which is a group of men who accompany the hobbit Frodo to throw the evil ring into the volcano and destroy it forever, thus destroying evil forever. You know, super easy. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, so Boromir, <laughs> because he's it's it's suggested that because he's human, he has like the he's the easily easiest tempted to the dark side by the evil ring and evil in general because humans are the worst. Yep. <laughs> and so it, it works. The the voices talk to him and basically convince him that he should put everyone in danger and and give the ring back over to the bad guys. And it's only, you know, he he's pretty much on the wrong side throughout, sort of working against them, even while he's working with them, until he finds his his strength and his humanity and fights against the evil forces and basically takes like all of the hits so that the hobbits can escape so that they can get away and continue on their quest. And everybody except the two hobbits does uh, stay back and, and to fight off. But Boromir is the only one who dies. And he's another one where it's like, if he was living and, and helping and like, there's really no reason for him to die other than audience. Like, so that you feel sad, <laughs> but it's... So you don't feel too sad because <laughs> he was an a-hole before. Yeah, you don't right? like him. <laughs> so yeah. so what's the, you know... Are any of you guys Doctor Who fans? Yes-ish. Okay, well, it just feels like it comes up a lot. And it's just like the random minor characters, they do something bad, and then they're like, oh, hold them off, and <laughs> then they die. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. I mean, the master, it happens to the master in uh, the end of time where he does his, he, I don't know, they're friends and then he dies again in quotes. It's, oh, it's just a mess. <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly, you are familiar with Star Wars Legends, right? Mm-hmm. So I get the sense that villain redemption through death is a thing based on what I've heard from word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And I wondered what their take on it was, whether what they do now is consistent with what happened then or if it was different, if that question made any sense at all. It makes sense. Um, you know, I really think it it has to do with, like, the times that things were published. I think, like, take Darth Vader, for example, and, like, everything written around that time. And, like, uh, even in, like, the late 90s and early 2000s, like, it was more – um, it was like normal to have this trope. It was kind of just like that's what you did, and not a lot of stories were like undoing that. But I think now, especially in um, oh, I ca- I just came up with a really good example. Um, I don't want to spoil a really good Star Wars book for you though. Has anyone here read Black Spire? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay, I know where you're going with this one. <laughs> um, a really amazing character who is redeemed uh, doesn't make it to the end of the book and it was really unnecessary. And it's a really good example of how like this is still happening um, in star Wars today. And like in legends it happened. Um, Can't think of any like really good examples, but like it, I mean uh, like you said with like just um, there being minor characters who do the same thing over and over where it's, Oh, I'm a villain and now I'm redeemed and now I'm dead. Uh, it does happen there too. And it's like, can we not do this anymore? Didn't can we like uh can we have more like Agent Calluses in our uh stories who are villains and then totally redeem themselves and make it to the end of the story? 
That'd be great. Didn't one of Han and Leia's kids die evil? Am I wrong? Yeah. Jason. Yep. Two, two, two out of the three die. Great. Yep. Okay. So <laughs> I won't be reading those because yep. I don't, don't think be, I can. Don't do be their son. <laughs> yeah, don't be their son. Be a girl. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And also, don't name your kid Anakin. It just. Yeah. Not the wisest. Yeah. That was a bad decision. Why'd they do that? Are you, are you guys familiar with Harry Potter, even though I don't like talking about Harry Potter anymore because it makes me sad? Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay. Would you guys consider Snape to be redemption equals death? Or is it like find out about redemption and then you die? Uh, <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about Snape that don't at all line up with my feelings about Kylo. And I know that Venn diagram is usually a circle. Mine is not. They I, are two separate circles. I would say that Regulus Black is closer to Redemption Equals Death than Snape Snape actually does sort of live a long time in, I don't know. With Redeeming himself. I guess, yeah. 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 Um, But Regulus pretty much, you know, he he does sacrifice his life in order to bring about better, a better outcome for his family and Wizarding World, the Wizarding Universe. You know who has a great arc where he doesn't die but he does redeem himself is draco malfoy okay yes like say what you will about harry potter and the cursed child and whatever you say Mm -hmm. about it is probably valid (laughs) one of the best things about that play is draco and his son that's true i saw it live which i'm glad i saw it before actually no i'm not glad it's it's it's, gave her money it's better (laughs) live than than in the book yeah it's so much better and yeah those two characters are great and it's fun to see Draco being like, oh, Hermione Granger is bossing me around. And he's like, I'm I'm here for it. Yeah. Like, he goes from being this bigoted little kid to not only, like, like, like to essentially when his dad tells him you can't marry this pure blood witch because she's nice to muggles, kind of telling his dad where he can stick it and marrying yeah. her anyway. And then trying to do his best by his kids. So... So that he doesn't turn into his dad. Draco is a better father than Harry Potter. <laughs> I'm just saying. Draco never once told his son that he wished he wasn't his. So I'm just yeah. that and Draco also like works with like he has that one moment with Ginny where they're like on the sort of on the same side against the others. And it's like, look, they're they're working together without any of this animosity, but like they got over it. You know, I feel like, especially in stories that we see about young characters, it's like you go back and whenever there is a sequel, it's like nothing's changed. They're still sniping each other and they're not like, and it's just sort of like, get over yourselves. Like anybody, people grow up. You were, you're not the same person you are when you're 17, 18, 19. And when you're, 30, 35, 40. There's not. Because life the happens. Only time, like when that does happen in the play, like when Harry and Draco turn into 12-year-olds again, Ginny's there to be like, hi, you're not 12 and also your sons are dying. Do you want to maybe put this aside for five minutes? And then they do. Like, it's and great. That, okay, so yeah, I hate the play. I hate a lot of things. <laughs> I'm not going to go into that right now. Um, but that brings up a good point is – that when these characters do get redeemed, there's some amazing stories that can be told. Yeah. Yep. Like, 
like uh, Meg, you mentioned Agent Callus mm-hmm. in Star Wars Rebels. That's an example of when redemption doesn't equal death. And even Callus is like he like he looks like he's like, oh, I should have died back then, you know. <laughs> He's like, he knows the trope. He knows he should be dead. But yeah. we even see he lives past indoor. Yeah. Yes. And he's out there fighting for the cause and 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 atoning. Like he's he joins. He's an active member of the rebellion. Yeah. We say that they avoid the trope because it's difficult. Clearly, it's not. It's not. <laughs> There's a lot of people like, well, I guess a lot of characters in Star Wars, they work for the Empire and then they're like, oh no, like Sabine, Wedge. <laughs> but they were kids. So again, that's different. But we also forget that like, you know, when we, whenever we see Star Wars, whenever we go into it, we're always firmly on the side of like the rebels. Like, like that's usually where we land, but don't like, they don't really consider in the movies that the Empire, the First Order, whatever, less so the First Order, more the Empire is just this big encompassing government system so you're working human resources on some planet and you're still getting the same propaganda that like the stormtroopers get so it's no wonder you think the way you do that's what i love about the another point of view books is because they had the people who were like the pencil pushers and the people doing the paperwork in the empire and i was like yeah (laughs) like they are here to earn a salary like they're stuck in that. That's the government that exists. They, it's not like they chose it. Yeah. Yeah. Arzu, do you want to talk about Zuko? Okay. So one of the things I did in quarantine was watch Avatar The Last Airbender. And there's just something about this dark-haired angry boy with something to prove and a scar on his face that just really appealed to me for some reason. So, um, Oh, gosh. <laughs> you were just breed when <laughs> Breed 2.0. <laughs> so the thing about about Zuko is, you know, he spends longer than I thought, because I knew I knew going in that he gets he gets to have a redemption arc and he doesn't die at the end. But he spends longer than I realized still fighting for the villains. It's only really in the last six or seven episodes that he's fighting with the good guys. But he is given the chance and the space over the course of the time he's with the Fire Nation, with the, you know, the, the Empire equivalent, the bad guys. He's given the time and the space to realize that what he is doing is wrong that he's doing it for the wrong reasons. And then even when he like leaves the system and goes back to it, he doesn't view it the same anymore. Because if somebody had just taken his hand and pulled him out of it, he wouldn't have done any of that work himself. But he does do all the work. He he sees that it's a problem. He sees that all this stuff he's done in the name of getting his father's respect and getting his honor restored is not working and it's never going to. And he he needs to restore his honor himself and do the right thing. And that's when that's when he leaves and that's when he has a chance to like bond with the main characters. And like Candace was saying, he does do something towards the end where he shows how serious he is about fighting for good is he like takes a bolt of lightning to the chest for one of the other characters and basically almost dies. So he is, he is extremely serious, but he is, they gave him the benefit of not just having him die right there in this other character's arms, but having him come back and then, move forward as a new leader in this changed society willing to do things different and repair the harm that that the fire nation that his nation had been causing for the last hundred years which is excellent like more we need we need more stories like this because that is like that is an uplifting ending okay so i want to ask you all why do you think writers do redemption equals death so much in these stories 
Meg, you've been very quiet. I, I really think it is just, it's a reflex. And I think as a writer, you have to fight against that urge to go with the trope. I mean, we've se- we have seen so many of these stories and it's just like embedded in your soul that like if there's a villain and they're redeemed, they should probably die. That's like dramatic, right? But you, I think writers just have to be more creative than that. I think they really have to challenge themselves to say like that's – it doesn't have to be like that and there's a more creative way to show that they can be better and then make the story better by giving them more of a story instead of just killing them off. Do you think it's because they don't believe the audience would believe they were deemed or that they should be, like, happy? I Anybody can answer I, that. <laughs> I think in, in maybe in some way, like, go, going back to Ben Solo, and you guys will of see course. when my piece comes up on the Geeky Waffle, like, why I think this more specifically. But I think part of the problem there was that all of the work done to set him up as somebody – quote unquote, worthy of redemption. It's in the movies if you're willing to find it. And if you came out of The Force Awakens like we did, thinking that he was worthy of redemption, then then the stones are all laid out for you in subsequent movies. If you didn't feel that way, anything that would make you feel otherwise is in the books, which is a problem because most people aren't going to read them. So I think part of the thing was that they at a corporate level, because I don't think that some some people involved in the writing of The Rise of Skywalker read the actual current canon, I think part of the problem is that based purely on what they saw, because they weren't already invested in his redemption, that they thought the audience wouldn't believe it or wouldn't stand behind it. And we see that happening now. We see people saying that he, that it shouldn't have happened, that he wasn't worthy of it, that it wasn't believable. Whereas I had no problem believing it. I'm just surprised it took him that long in the movie. Like I would have thought by the end of act one, but. Mm-hmm. To sort of answer both questions, I'm going to go back to Anakin and George Lucas in general. And I think that Vader died because that was the story that George Lucas was telling was there's some cool, I'm going to mangle it, but it's something like the villain turned out to be a victim and dying peacefully to save his son was a happy ending for that particular story. But in 19... 85 maybe i don't know but there's willow which is also a george lucas story and in willow the daughter of the evil queen is her like main is one of her generals in the army and her job is literally to find babies baby girls and bring them to her mother so her mother can murder them like that's not about this on screen <laughs> but that is literally her job so she's you know there's this sort of idea that she's not really evil enough to have to be redeemed but she actually is and but she is she's redeemed by falling in love with one of the heroes and immediately turning to fight with the heroes against her own army and then she stands up against her own mother and then she flings herself in front of the hero and the baby in the final fight and allows her mother to try to kill her. And she's saved by the other witch, but she would have died. And, but then, you know, she, she's saved. She's saved. The evil queen kills herself. And 
so no one like has to murder anybody and and the only person who dies is the truly evil person and they you know it, it ends with this amazing happy ending where the Sorsha and Mad Mardigan are raising the magic baby who like basically looks like their daughter <laughs> and it's it's so heartwarming and it's so wonderful and it's like one of my favorite memories from childhood is this amazing fairy tale and the fact that Lucas could write both of those stories to me shows that if you put the effort in and you have different ideas of how stories can end and what a happy ending actually is then you can have both and both can be meaningful but I agree I do I agree with whoever said that the audience and especially with Rise of Skywalker it's still so controversial to say that Ben Solo was redeemed at all and you know could be a good person and maybe didn't deserve to die or even you know maybe didn't deserve everything that happened to him in his life <laughs> which is my Yeah I Yeah I think the writers need to trust the audience and realize like we pick up on things and we also are forgiving people. We do want, we want to forgive people. We want to see people redeemed because we've all made mistakes in our lives. Granted, not as big as some of these villains. Well, actually (laughs) I can say definitely not as big as these villains, but it's just human nature to mess up. And it's important, especially for a children's story. Mm -hmm. Just so, to show children that, yeah, you can make a mistake, but the people who love you will continue to love you, and you can come back from that. I think it's it's not just trusting the audience. I think the writers need to trust the story they're telling That's and trust it. that if they, if they tell it well, that the audience, whether right away or 15 years from now, will fall in line. Like, I've always liked the prequels. I know a lot of people didn't, but now because they – went into those movies, bananas as they are, and fully trusted the story they were telling, that shows now. But I think the the thing with The Rise of Skywalker is they, it's like they wanted to please everybody, so they please nobody, because they sort of pay off the rede- redeemed Ben, Raylo angle, but then they kill him immediately after, trying to, I assume, please both the people who wanted them to kiss and then please the people who wanted him to die. Mm-hmm. Pick. But no one is pleased. No one's happy because some people are mad that they kiss and some people are mad that he died. I'm like, but the story you were telegraphing from the beginning with or without the romance was that this is the son of our heroes and we are going to want him to come back. Like there's no, I, I don't, I don't understand people who see Han Solo and Leia Organa's son standing there and be like, nah, I'd be fine if Ray stabbed him and he just died right there. Like, I don't, I don't understand that. Because, but but then that's the thing about not having the confidence in the story they're telling. Definitely. I, I really think modern storytelling, like using Star Wars as, as an example, it's not good versus evil, like black and white so much as it used to be anymore. It's more of like people are good and evil at the same time sometimes. It's, you know, not as clear of a distinction. And so I really think for like this story, they really needed to lean in on that and kind of say like, it is possible to be evil and come back from that. And, you know, the story continue, it not being the same story as the original trilogy, which there were way way too many parallels in that movie. We're not going to talk about all of them, but, you know, they really needed to, like, I think just, like, recognize, like, storytelling is a little bit different. It doesn't have to be, like, 
this person is all evil or they're all good. There is that middle ground. And if they would have leaned into that more. I think it would have been better. And that's the case for like a lot of these examples that we've talked about, I think. Okay. So Arzu, can you tell people how to find you online? Okay. So online, you can find me on Twitter at Arzu Amin and uh, at my website where it's mostly me finding ways to tie all the Star Wars books back to Kylo Ren at arzud2.com. (laughs) Annika, how can we find you online? Um, My webpage is manicpixiedust.com. And you can find me on Twitter at both manicpixiedane, which is like my me Twitter, and at at politicalpadme, which is my retweeting and ranting about politics and also Star Wars Twitter. Good mix. Meg, how can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MegDowell, and that's where you'll find uh, Utini and Project Stardust. Awesome. Okay, and you can find us at thegeekywaffle.com. We're on Twitter, Facebook, everywhere pretty much. And also check out our YouTube page because we got some cool stuff happening, including we proved that Obi-Wan Kenobi has a secret love child, and there will be Baby Yoda drama all over there. So thank you all for joining me and discussing this trope that needs to die. The redemption equals death needs death. (laughs) Stay geeky.